Hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of Sawdust and Gin. I believe this is episode 28. I am right. Wow. And 28, that's pretty impressive. I feel like it was just yesterday that we were doing 25, and yet here we are. We've done two since then. Yeah. How exciting. No, but really, I think we are on a roll, and uh, we've had a lot of an exciting episode today. Not depressing, not like last Yeah, I definitely, this one is, is uh, it'll give you a lot of laughs, that's for sure. Oh, God. And some of them are going to be like... Cringe laughs. laughs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to be talking about a lot of good stuff. We're going to be talking about the R&B artist Chaprice, and I'm going to say right now... This is my fault. We should have talked about Chaprice a year ago. She came out with this record, Coles, uh, last November, but I've been following her since she was releasing the singles all like throughout the year, and I dropped the ball. But we're going to rectify things today. We're going to talk about her. She's phenomenal. Love this new record. We're going to talk about it at length. But first, we're going to talk about the things that we've been listening to. Uh, I have, I'm going to start. Screw you, Kylie. I forgive you. Uh, Something I discovered is the Tanzania Albinism Project uh, from, oh, well, from an island off the coast of Tanzania between there and Madagascar, I think, if you looked on a map. Uh, it's called Ukerewe Island. It's, it's practically uninhabited, uh, save for about 80 members of the albino community who have moved there from mainland Tanzania, or, I mean, they've been practically ostracized. It's really terrifying to be albino uh in africa specifically in that region um there are so many health risks and there are other uh like societal risks i guess you could call them uh skin cancer is the leading cause of death but there's some amount of like intra-community like racism of a sort um so the african identity is black so when your skin doesn't have pigment communities you know target the albinos for hate crimes and things like that uh, there's also a lot of superstitions about who albino people are and like like tall tales uh and then there are also dangerous myths about say the value of their corpses sorry i know we said this was not going to be a depressing episode um but here we are Anyway, uh, Ian Brennan and his wife, Marilena Deli, traveled to this island to create this project, and they'd done something similar in the past in Malawi, which I think is considered the world's poorest country. Uh, that was called the Zomba Prison Project. It was very similar to the Albinism Project in Tanzania. So for these underprivileged communities, this basically just kind of gives these people an opportunity to express themselves through music. And they recorded the album. There are, I think, like 20 songs, and they're all like a minute, minute and a half. Some of them are longer, but it's beautiful. Like to hear these people expressing themselves, and they were encouraged to use their native dialects rather than just Swahili, which is like the only accepted language and if you use the dialogue on the main dialect on the mainland people will ostracize you you know further and it it's just like a really powerful uh record and i really hope that everybody kind of gives it its due i am gonna buy a copy i can't wait to get it um the music is gorgeous and if you're into like afro like afro-ethnic music this is absolutely one of those records it's not like these inexperienced musicians that these people really had soul to it and it's really awesome that is really exciting. I think that's a really great discovery, and I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to listening to that. So my my updates, as per usual, are definitely more on the pop end of things. We've got this is why we make such a good team because Zoe finds the things that I have never seen, and then I usually share my pop insights. So I have one of my pop insights was my 
my surprise at how much I liked Katy Perry's new album, Witness. So what I found about most Katy Perry albums is that she's got some really great singles, but the rest of the album is usually kind of meh. So I decided just to take a listen to Witness. I was already listening to the singles and I thought, hey, it's on Spotify, I'll just take a listen and see what I thought. I was actually pretty impressed because even though it doesn't have a lot of the bangers that we're used to, it, it, I mean, it still has, you have Swish Swish, you have uh, Bon Appetit, you've got Chain to the Rhythm, I mean, trust me, there's the high intensity there, but I just thought a lot of the, the other album um, tracks were just a little more interesting than normal Katy Perry, and I liked the production of, of it all. So I was pretty impressed. And also, as much as I love Tay Tay, I love Tay Tay, um, I also love that song, Swish Swish. I mean, I, I can't resist. I guess I just love the diss tracks, man, because I love Bad Blood. I love Swish Swish. Basically, I just love celebrity feuds, I guess is what Swish Swish is a great song. And can I just say that I hope Maya Jane Cole's got a piece of that because it sounds exactly that beat underneath like a Maya Jane Cole song. So hopefully she at least got a shout out for that. Oh, wait, is she on the record? So here's the thing. I'm not... I feel that it's just more influenced by her work. I don't think it's actually a sample of hers, but I was listening and I thought, well, shit, I hope my, Maya's probably listening like, I inspired this, y'all. I inspired some of this because I, it seriously sounded like the, the background beat sounded like straight out of Maya Jane Cole's uh, album. Yeah, well, uh, my favorite song from that record is Tsunami. Yeah, I bet you didn't think I'd listen to it, Kylie. I did listen to this Katy Perry record. You know what? I have to say, I'm not... You know what? I I know that you're open to pop music, and I know that because you finally listened to Emotion by Carly Rae Jepsen, which I will argue is one of the finest pop albums and was just so underrated. It's criminal. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I agree. Yes, so great. But uh, but yeah, so I was actually pretty impressed overall with uh, with Witness, and uh, it, it definitely it definitely surprised me. Well, I mean, congratulations on being surprised by Katy Perry. I've been. Uh... I've been adjusting to maybe uh, liking some more of her stuff recently. It's definitely because of my roommate, but I welcome it. You know it excites me. <laughs> well, in other pop news in my life, Banafi released a new song called Ripe, and it is brilliant. I love it. So we saw her perform at the Pico Union Project a few weeks ago. Yes, and I was actually going to ask you if, um, I'm curious about the new song, that that new track. It's that not that song, but I am so excited for her to record that song. The song that she played, it was still untitled as of, um, as of when we had heard it over at the Pico Union Project. It was hauntingly beautiful. It was just so haunting, and I remember sitting there, and, and Zoe and I, our eyes are this, I mean, we're big as saucers, like, sitting here going, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful so we're really i'm looking forward to uh whatever the title of that track is going to be right we can't even like look forward to something specific we're just like i know there's a song in the works and it's haunting and it's beautiful yeah. and we're and zoe's definitely a banoffee fangirl and she has definitely converted me because watching banoffee was amazing yeah, well, I'm so excited to hear her perform this new song live because so what Banafi does, I've probably said this a trillion times on the podcast because I've talked about Banafi at least on four different other podcasts and I don't even have 30 episodes yet. But that's fine because we were talking about Bishop Briggs for a while. So we that's had true. To, we had to transition to another B indie artist. So here we are. We're at Banafi. Every single episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, um, I, from what I understand, she's going to be releasing an LP, but what I'm really super excited for is to listen to that song Ripe Live because 
And I'm not sure if you're familiar enough with her music to have recognized this, but I noticed that every time I see her live, she performs her songs deconstructed. Like they're completely different than the recordings, which means Ripe is going to be different. And Ripe is already insane. It's like got a bunch of different like movements in it, which is usually how live songs are for her. But it's going to be even wilder in person. I'm so excited. I wish you all could see Zoe's eyes. They are, she is just, the excitement level here is out of control but I actually but I totally agree with you I was sincerely so impressed with watching her and I'm definitely looking forward to hearing that track and just hearing more from her absolutely and then my other artist that I love again we're, we're going we're going real pop with mine today uh which Zoe's laughing uh but the other album that I'm sorry I just have to give a shout out to is the new two chains album pretty girls like trap music because it is I mean I think it's one of Two Chains' best, and the um, the guest artists on there. I mean, it is a who's who of the rap world. We're talking Nicki Minaj, we're talking Gucci Mane, we're talking Quavo. I mean, it is a consistently great album from start to finish. It's fun. It has goofy Two Chains lyrics. It has great. Um, it really has great guest artists. It pretty much is anything you need for a great summer banger album. I mean, Pretty Girls like trap music. That's it. Well, good thing because. Sad to say, the Gorillaz album I thought was going to be that for me, and it wasn't. Shade. Wow. See, I see, and I haven't even taken a listen to it. So I was very, and you know what, though? I'm not surprised because I didn't hear a lot about it. Here's the thing. Usually when Gorillaz, when they drop an album, it's just like explosion in the blogosphere. Yeah, like months people are still talking about it. Not this one. I, wow. I mean, it's it's still a good pop record, but it's not Gorillaz. Like, it's it's like Damon Albarn took a break, you know? Which, you know, I love Damon Albarn so much, and I don't mean any disrespect. Please, Damon, come on our podcast. <laughs> Zoe's throwing out the lifeline there, but still, we would love to have you. Absolutely. Well, we're going to transition to maybe some things we're more excited about soon. Uh, we're actually going to talk about some new uh, services for indie bands. Uh, so if you guys are musicians, definitely stay tuned. And we've got a mix at the end after we talk about Chaprice. So there's a lot coming up. So guys, stay tuned. Thanks for listening. So in music news, we're going to be talking about some services that uh, we're finding are really going to um, make a difference or potentially be something at least of interest for uh, indie artists. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was two services that have been gaining in popularity, music.ly and YouNow. So both of those services are live streaming services. And what's fascinating about them is that they have grown in popularity astronomically. So of course we have Periscope, we have Facebook Live, but what's fascinating is that these are actually growing faster. And in reading a lot about these services, a lot of the artists that are performing on these services have been saying, we're getting thousands and thousands of people watching instead of a Facebook Live, which will maybe have hundreds. So the whole idea behind music.ly and you now is that, again, they're live streaming services. Anyone can go on as you are live streaming a video of yourself singing, creating. It's, it's basically a platform for any type of creation. You could be lip syncing, you could be singing, you could be doing a funny skit, really anything. And the way it works is that you can get compensated by what's uh, these in-app purchases. So basically you would buy a certain amount of coins, that type of thing, and it translates into real money. So many coins equals as many dollars, that type of thing. And so the whole shtick behind it is that viewers who are watching your live performance can 
virtually tip you. So it's a really fascinating type of service, especially as we look at the fact that touring is such a huge part of making money nowadays for an artist, because we all know, I mean, with Spotify and things like that, as we've talked about previously, getting paid for your recordings is getting tougher and tougher. So it was something that when I saw this, I actually read a Wall Street Journal article about it. I thought, this is really fascinating. And this could really be a wonderful lifeline for those indie artists. Because the great thing is, obviously, if you're video streaming, you are doing it from the comfort of your home. It's a very low cost thing. All you need is a microphone and some equipment to get your music out. And, you know, you have that audience that's already built in. Of course, you have to cultivate to cultivate that audience like you would, you know, at, at any other time. But the thing is, because those platforms already have millions of viewers, it's sort of a built in audience for yourself. So as I was looking into this, I thought this is a really great way for indie artists potentially to make a name for themselves, actually make some money. Some of these top artists are, I kid you not, making $30,000 a month. I mean, that talk about an absolute huge amount of money, especially for a very low cost thing. You could do it out of your bedroom. That's 30 times 12. $360,000 a year, 300, that, like if you salaried that, yeah, it would exactly. be. Exactly, it's insane. I mean, clearly, as you know, Zoe and I make that much anyways, but oh, you know, yes, we're clearly. We're so wealthy. We're so wealthy. Um, but yeah, it's an astronomical amount of money, especially for an indie artist. And again, very low cost. So I thought to myself, this is a really great opportunity. Let me dig a little more into this. Let me find out about these famous artists and who they are. Kylie's getting to the bottom of it. Investigative journalism. <laughs> and uh, I, so here's what I found. So again, my original thought on this and when I was talking with Zoe about featuring this was, this is great for indie artists. What a cool way to get an audience and really captivate them and make money while doing it. Amazing. So I did a little research about the artists that are making this money. It's a huge butt. And I went down the rabbit hole of uh, the music, we'll call it the music that is being created. And let me tell you, it was not ideal. And so the whole thing, and I knew with a lot of services like, you know, Vine, Rest in Peace, and a lot of these Facebook Live, Periscope, etc., you have a younger audience. That's what it is. Obviously, your seven-year-old grandma is probably not on there. If you are, that's awesome. But, you know, they're probably not. It's a younger audience. You get that. But what I was finding with music, uh, music ly and I think I'm saying that right. It's musically. It's spelled musically, but music.ly. I'm not a cool 13-year-old, so I'm not sure. Um, and you now. Are you I, not? I know. Crazy, right? Are you double the age of 13? I am double the age of 13. That is frightening. That is frightening. I am double the age of 13. So I am double the age of the people who are actually using this site. And here's the thing with teenage girls. Teenage girls are not necessarily the worst arbiters of music. Who loves the Beatles? Teenage girls. Look, Harry Styles said it best. He trusts his female fans. Like, he doesn't understand. And this is what I, like, appreciate about him because... I didn't hear his new record. His new song was fine. Um, but he really appreciates his fans as much as they appreciate him. And he's he's like, why are we discounting their opinions? Their opinions are just as valid as yours. So here's the thing. And again, and I, as a pop music lover, you know, a lot of teens love the artists that I love. So I'm not going to sit there and say teenage girls can't choose any good music. I mean, honestly, I worked Jingle Ball years ago as an intern and almost got bowled over by a bunch of teenage girls trying to see Ed Sheeran, So who I think is very talented. So... I am not necessarily one to discount what teenage girls like. However, 
this you now, this musical.ly stuff, oh, it is, I mean, it is bottom of the barrel. And again, I, I love pop music, but I started looking at who's really famous from these sites. You have a guy named Nick Bean who had a hit song called Wi-Fi Wifey. I mean, it's, it ain't good. It ain't good. Uh, we also had another, uh, one of the most famous on these sites. Her name is Baby Ariel, which already is just, I mean, so much creep. But looking into what Baby Ariel had to, um, to bring to the internet, it's videos of her learning to drive. I mean, it is like, we're, I mean, we're talking such a niche audience. I mean, it is like, basically, after the age of 17, you're not interested. Yeah, and what's the staying power of a video like that? Like, I think of, like, old songs that I love listening to again, but once I can drive, why would I want to watch that? Exactly. These it's people just, are not thinking about the future of their content. It's just such a niche audience, and frankly, it's not good quality. I mean, I'm just going to be really honest here. It's just not great. It's, and again, I love me some pop music, so... Yeah. I'm all about it. But it's just when I was looking at really who's racking up these numbers, it's people that really only will appeal to for 13 to 17 year old girls. Like there's no other audience that they would appeal to. So it was just kind of fascinating. And on, I'm going to be really honest. I was a little bit disappointed because I got really excited about this service for as a potential for artists to really grow their fan base. And there are singer-songwriters on there. I'm not trying to say that there are not. However, Vine gave us Shawn Mendes, who, as I've, I've talked about with Zoe, I think he is a perfectly packaged pop artist. I think that he is one of Vine's greatest success stories. But I look at what these sites are pumping out, I don't see a Shawn Mendes. I don't see someone who's going to appeal to the masses. I just don't. I see someone who's appealing to this very, very niche market, which, and clearly there's engagement. Clearly they love it. Marketers love to market to them because they're, you know, young, impressionable, get them young. And that's all fine and dandy. But when I think about indie artists whose target demographic is definitely people in their 20s and 30s, this is probably not the platform for them. And that's one of those things that I, again, going into this thought that maybe it would be a platform for that. But I'm realizing that this might be something we got to leave to, uh, as, as Liz Lemon would call, the youths. Do you think that there, do you think that there's still potential here for that? I'm curious about is I'm wondering if, because of course, with every great successful app, there are a million other apps that are very similar that will come, um, will be very similar. You know, you have, you know, we had Uber, then we had Lyft. And, you know, so what I'm wondering is if maybe there will be another live streaming app that'll be more for that indie artist. Yeah, that seems to make sense. Because I was thinking like what we need, what what indie artists need to make this work is some sort of important partnership. Not only an important partnership, but a community that is bigger than just a 13 to 17 year old fan base. And what I'm thinking is that I do think that there's probably going to be a next app for that. Because as we know, live streaming is not going away. It is only getting bigger. Facebook Live is only expanding. These types of things are not going away. I'm just thinking that it's going to be a different app. It will not be these apps. And again, I you know, who knows, maybe in five years, I'll be eating my words and we'll have some great artists come out of it. But just from what I've seen and the content that's coming out of there, it's just not, 
I mean, really, again, once you're over the age of 17, you're not going to like it. I mean, that's really what it is. It's very, very, very niche content that is really not the indie, what the indie artists are creating, and it's not their audience group. I mean, and that makes sense, especially in the trends of tech. Like, once one thing's working, guess what? There's a million, million other things. So I'm, yeah. I'm, and and again, I am not someone who's going to try and predict the future. Who knows? Maybe one of these sites will just suddenly become. Maybe there'll be a, a section on this app for indie artists. There could be other things, but I just. As of right now, what is coming out of it, I don't see this as like, you know, I don't see Banafi getting on this right. and and doing live songs on here. I just I don't see the audience there and I don't see the the engagement that that she would want. I mean, I love this idea, though. Like, I wish that it was true. I would totally do this and I just or like pay for it. Exactly. Exactly. And I just it's. It's going to happen, I'm sure, but it ain't looking like it's going to be these platforms. It's just what I have, you know, just from the content that I've seen and who's really getting those millions of views. Like, Wi-Fi Wifey has 16 million views on YouTube. Like, I can't comment on that song. <laughs> I can't. Again, and I mean, it's, I'm sorry, but it's bad. It's real bad. Like, I, as a pop music fan, I even have to say, you got to draw the line somewhere. And, uh... Uh, double tap me yeah I, that's where I draw the line please no please god no I mean it's interesting though I mean of course of course the youths are the ones to have like really discovered this new platform this new revenue stream and it's it really is. It is awesome. And what's cool is that a lot of these, um, for example, like musical.ly is working with Apple Music now. And they're actually one of them, I think, uh, yeah, musical.ly is actually creating like show content. Like there's a, a lot to be gained oh. here. But okay. for, I mean, the current, so there's a lot to be gained. There's a lot of amazing things that are upcoming. But for right now, in terms of platforms that are good for indie artists, this is. I mean, unless, again, you want to write Wi-Fi Wifey 2, this ain't your platform. Well, uh, yeah. And, and also, but here's the thing. And now we're going to transition to another thing. So this was kind of a, a thing where I thought indie artists might love this. And I thought, maybe not quite now. But Zoe's got another thing she's going to talk about that is really great in terms of um, helping out indie artists. And it's something that's very, uh, very now, very techy. And uh, it seems like a logical progression. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so as much as we don't encourage indie artists to go for this uh, streaming stuff, I do think that this uh, uh, there's a new vinyl pressing uh, platform that I think people would really actually like. Of course, we all know vinyl has grown exponentially recently. Um, it's... The thing is, it's, it's fraud. The The whole idea of vinyl, it's dirty to make uh, and it's really expensive to produce as well. Uh, not only that... There are, like, no vinyl pressing factories that exist anymore. I think the figure was that there are 30 in the world that still function. 30? 30. In the world. 3-0 in this entire globe. I'm pretty sure it's the world. If it's not the world, that's the figure for... Regardless, like, 30 is just crazy to me. It's too small. That's such a low number for anything. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so, the... <laughs> The thing is that, like, for Record Store Day, there's always, like, controversies because the big labels, like, Universal and EM, well, I guess EMI doesn't really exist anymore, but, you know. They can easily, I mean, they can shell out the money to do this. 
they print all the vinyl. And so even on record store day, which is meant to be uh, encouraging people to buy small from like small record shops and like encourage vinyl production, you're still just buying big names who are already elbowing out indie artists from being able to print in these factories. And so then that becomes like an issue of, well, whose fault is this? And I'm just going to start out right now before I even get into the new platform service. It's no one's fault. We all want to buy vinyl. Big companies have a lot of money and want to make a lot of money, and they can. And I think at the end of the day, it's just that vinyl's expensive. I mean, at the right. at, when you have something that is expensive to make, it's going to be hard for that indie label with five to ten artists to afford that. Period. End of story. It's an expensive process. Absolutely. So what it normally happens is that uh, record uh, press factories have minimum orders, which is why people get boxed out. Um, but also uh, vinyl factories, people want to blame them. They are certainly not to blame because I read an interview with someone that works at a factory and he says that they run the plant 24 hours a day six days a week to be able to print and meet demand and they can't like they still can't even meet demand because like there are not enough factories but this is like 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 I said no one's fault so of course we're gonna get back into uh how they're being boxed out so uh, they normally factories have minimum orders. It makes sense buy in bulk. So it's cheaper for everyone, but it isn't always easy for especially independent artists who aren't even on labels that are independent. Like if they're just self uh, releasing stuff, it gets very, very hard. I did read this one anecdotal artist who uh, was like so proud of himself for only pressing vinyl for his releases. Like he doesn't have any other, you can't buy it digitally, you can't buy it uh, on CD or tape, which is big. I'm concerned about the viability of this artist, but continue. Yeah, yeah I paused because Kylie was giving me the scariest, like, confused. I'm, I just, I'm sorry. In this day and age, I can't. Somebody who doesn't have anything digital, I'm like, well, good Lord. You're going to be listening, you know, your audience will right. not be large. But so, but that's the thing. Like, what is this guy thinking? Like, how are you going to reach people without printing? Okay, whatever. Let's just talk about the vinyl. Yes. I was shocked that he was proud of himself because this is this was a, an article I read in Fast Company, and I'll link it um, in the uh, when this is online. <laughs> um, but he said, he like quote, "If you have the money to, if you have the money, do it. If you don't, that's why God made credit cards." Okay, but hang on, dude, you're not considering that sometimes people just don't buy the vinyl. I've heard stories of bands who have boxes of vinyl that just sit because it's too expensive for people to buy, and. You know, you hear about other bands. I was reading about Ty Siegel and how the number one merch item for Ty Siegel is vinyl. Mm. But that's not always the case. Like that genre really fits that. You know, those those fans that make sense. And you have to remember that Ty Siegel is definitely on the upper echelon of indie artists. Exactly. That too. Like there are so many other factors. And to say that just put it on a credit card is like so irresponsible. But that's... Very American. (laughs) so American but that's an entirely different uh conversation um so okay yes obviously there are people that love vinyl just because they think it's cool to be exclusive like that (laughs) but for most bands you're just trying to make a little bit of money and that's not always like easy so I thought it was funny I found this article from Indie on the Move uh printed in 2013 they published this article and it was basically just kind of like a friendly like if you're an indie band like we have some tips on how you can like 
purchase vinyl to be printed and pressed and it had like some breakdown of prices and how quickly it would happen what like the specs were that you needed to have your music in and the art blah 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 but it's so funny because they were like they were very encouraging of like you know it's a very good revenue stream because you can charge more it's absolutely true um but then they were like but if you can't afford to press you should crowdfund on kickstarter well, what's hilarious is the service that I'm going to talk to you right now is called Vinylized. That's exactly what it is put in one, which I think is genius. And obviously, Indie on the Move was on to something with that. Um, so Vinylized, uh, it's spelled with an S because this is British. So deal with it, guys. Um, and this is, uh, I've got this info from Fact Mag, which I'll also uh, link at the bottom. Um, but basically, it's a crowdfunding vinyl press platform. Basically... You list your uh, you list your music on their website, and you can list it for free. Uh, when the pre-orders from customers reach like a minimum, so it's just like Kickstarter in that sense. You know, you pledge, and then if you meet the like minimum like pledge donations that you need, then they will start the process of not only printing and pressing, they will master it and distri uh, distribute it for you all kind of in the package not that it's free but you know if you've met your minimum with the pledges from your uh, donors then this is a great great tool and I just I'm always I'm still a little flabbergasted that they do distribution <laughs> that to me is pretty amazing and I think one of the the cool things about this is not only will this help the indie artists uh, who aren't on a, you know, obviously large label get vinyl, but I think it's also a really cool way to sort of engage your fan base. And I think that's another cool way to sit there and say, hey, you know, we heard you. We know you, you love vinyl and you want vinyl. We can help you get that vinyl. We just need some help because this is an expensive process. And I think that people who love indie artists definitely love to be part of sort of that community and helping them and the whole idea is that you're helping patronize them and I just think that vinylized is just a really cool way not only to again make money so you can print those vinyls and you know get some an income source for yourself but also sort of to jazz up your fan base saying we hear you we know you want some vinyl if you know you donate a couple bucks you get your friends to donate a couple bucks we can provide some great vinyl for you absolutely and I think that it's great for bands because of the security of it like once you already have the donations you don't need to worry about selling it to people and like having it just stuck in your apartment because you can't sell it exactly and that's one of the things is it the sad part about buying in bulk is that you know with those other you know pressing plants and things like that like I can't even imagine the money you'd have to drop to have all of these vinyls and they just sit in your garage and frankly they're gonna get warped and vinyl vinyl doesn't take too well when it comes to to different weather conditions yeah the elements exactly so it's definitely not something you can just throw in your garage and five years later you're like oh where was that vinyl I mean you'll find it but uh, quality might not be ideal you might not be able to charge full price for it anymore and then or charge anything for it because it might not work yeah, so this is like such a great uh, tool for, and we, I really hope to see people using it because let me tell you, I would absolutely, look, I already love using um, these like, like Kickstarter, but they also have like Patreon, which is a huge one recently. And I like Patreon just, um, I'm going to be honest, because of the user experience. <laughs> they have like a great website. And that's awesome. And frankly, that, especially in this day and age, that is not a thing to be ashamed about yeah. because it's just... 
it's especially when it comes to a program that's going to take your money you'd like it to be user friendly and easy to do and something that you would feel secure about putting your money on exactly i think that zoe this is a wonderful find and i'm really excited to see uh, how indie artists will continue this. And what will be fascinating, too, is if they will start to include tape. Because as you know, cassette tapes are getting really hot. And those are also, I mean, it's not it's not the same type of cost of vinyl, but it's still not dirt cheap. It's not like you just upload it to, you know, different pla- you know, digital platforms and call it a day. How does tape, like, how do those get made? I have no idea. I have really no idea because I know a lot about vinyl. I know that vinyl, like I said, I know that there are very few plants like left in the world and all of them are an enormous environmental, like they're bad for the environment. Uh, And which is actually something that I like secretly, (laughs) I really have been trying to think about like what other materials can we print that could be played on a vinyl player, like played with a needle, because that's what's key with the sound. But that's a lot better for the environment than just like melting wax down because it's so bad. Like, and that's interesting. I, didn't, I actually didn't realize that there was there were so many environmental issues with uh, with creating vinyl. That's that's very fascinating. And I'm pretty sure it's environmental regulations that have forced some closures of factories, which is why we don't have as many. But at the same time, I know that others have been like, I know for a fact that Jack White opened one recently because... Which I believe because it's he, Jack White. <laughs> King of vinyl. He actually, I was reading, they uh, the stat was like he printed 70,000 copies of Lazaretto, which was his solo album from like 2012, 13. Um, and they, it was like the most printed it, like of a single record in years, like in a long, long time. And it sold like 64,000 in like the first two weeks, which is bananas. So yeah, Jack White's king of vinyl, for sure. That's fascinating. Look at all these vinyl facts. But yeah, so I'll be curious to see. I, and I didn't realize the, the environmental complexities behind that. So it'll be interesting to kind of see as this moves along what um, what next steps will, will be taken, especially if vinyl continues to have the demand that it, it seems to have especially within the uh the indie community so yeah it'll be curious i'll be curious to see kind of how that moves along as well as who knows because tape seem to be coming back too so who knows if and i don't know and tape may be very inexpensive to make i'm not sure about no cassette tapes but i'm very curious to see if this type of model might even move to tapes right because at the same time i'm still thinking like where do you do well i guess it I I just don't know the process so I can't say like what even questions I have about it but I am super curious like obviously vinyl has been coming up recently so then a lot of these things have popped up so you're right like because tapes have been popping up we could very well see new services for tapes too or like I bet we'll start seeing like a lot of like services that are all encompassing too. See that would be very fascinating like print distribute yeah. that type of thing because that's what vinylized is right. i'm very curious about that yeah because crowdfunding like a lot of these live streaming crowdfunding is not going away anytime soon oh, no. and i feel that there are many crowdfunding uh uh ideas like the romp him uh i don't know if you're familiar with that it's the male romper um that oh, has yes. <laughs> And I believe that uh, a lot of crowdfunding is used for what I will consider um, evil because that romp him is not ideal in any way, shape, or form, let me tell you. Uh, so what I you got like against to... the romp him? Romp, 
romp. It's not an easy word to it's say. It's really not. It's so I, I feel that we should definitely start using that crowdfunding more for good, um, <laughs> because I've seen some real evil and the romp him is it, it ain't good. There's also there's some lace shorts concoction. I mean, stuff's getting weird. Stuff's getting weird for crowdfunding. So I'm I'm hoping that we we use crowdfunding for good and help indie artists when it comes to creating vinyl, creating tapes, and maybe like you said, kind of this all encompassing model of crowdfunding. Even because I've actually seen that on Kickstarter, like an album creation. But I'm wondering if because a lot of times they'll say, "Hey, help me crowdfund this album." That usually includes the recording, mixing, mastering. But I'm wondering if we'll see even like distribution, or we'll start to kind of see this all encompassing crowdfunding model. It's actually interesting, and I should have mentioned this earlier but um so crowd the reason that this is very different from crowdfunding is like so what you're describing is like a band is like oh you know i'm trying to make a record so all the money's going to them and so then they just like pay their fees but this the money i guess it's still technically going to the band but they're paying this specific company and so i feel like that's where we're gonna start seeing the crowdsourcing platforms come from like people who have a service that you just use these like um use the process of crowdsourcing ah to get to that right and so i think that's where these niches are gonna start sprouting um but yeah i'm still really curious to see it all yes i agree kylie we should all use crowdfunding for good and not evil most definitely and now for the meat of the podcast we are going to talk about chaprice today chaprice did release a new record uh last year and i already you know i already said i feel bad i didn't i didn't talk about this soon enough but you know what? There's always a place for, uh, for you know, talking about records that maybe it's been a couple months because they still deserve recognition regardless. Exactly, which is why we're talking about Chaprice exactly. today. Chaprice was born. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to get so formal she with this was intro. Born in a land far, far away. Ugh. No, Chaprice. Honestly, not that far from us. Uh, West Coast all the way. We're Woo-hoo. although we're both born and bred East Coast. Yeah, right? let's be real here. We are Floridians. We'll announce who we truly are. Yeah, I mean. We don't eat faces, in case you're wondering. Chaprice, she was born Chaprice Renee Richardson. She's now anonymous, though, which, you know, every great artist is. Uh, She released, she's released only, honestly, very little music Mm -hmm. compared to a lot of indie artists, the way that they do uh, the lead up to an LP release. She only released one EP, but it's beautiful. It's called Molting, which is such a great word. I'm so glad that she used it as the title of this EP. Uh, But she released that in 2014, like way before any of this was happening. And then she released... Uh, a like a single, a debut single, even before that. I don't know if it was necessarily early 2014 or maybe it was late 2013. One of the one of the two, but it's been a while. Mm-hmm. She's been uh, gestating for quite a while. Uh, she's from Seattle originally, which is what I was referencing with the West Coast thing. Don't know why I didn't immediately say that. And I just uh, one of the things I thought was interesting was that Seattle, you think about as the birthplace for grunge. So it's interesting that she's this, you know, interesting R&B artist out of Seattle. That's not the typical uh, hotbed of R&B that I typically think of. But great music comes from everywhere. Absolutely. And I think that Seattle is having a weird like renaissance period because a lot of different stuff like Fleet Foxes is from Seattle. And so, like, a lot of various but very influential new niche genres are coming out of there. It's very fascinating. I was going to say, I don't exactly think we could compare Fleet Foxes to a Nirvana. No, well, exactly, though. (laughs) 
No, it's great. Um, so yeah, so but she actually lives in LA now. I'm, I think she made the move before the album was released, um, but she seems to love it. I also noticed uh, on her Instagram that she was recently in Cuba, and I just think it's funny because we lived in Miami. I guess it's not that funny. Well, we we essentially lived in what they call North Cuba. Correct. So no, exactly. That, that's why I thought. It was, <laughs> yeah, relevant to us. Um, I've never been to Cuba, though, let's be honest. And I can't even speak Spanish. Well, what's disappointing is that Trump has now made it even harder to go to Cuba. Thanks, President Trump. So it might be a little bit till I... <sighs> Whatever. Just a sigh. Yeah, Just right? A sigh. Yeah. I can't even... Uh, maybe we'll have another political episode. But maybe not, because, like, I am exhausted. Basically, I mean, all you have to say... Like, if you just... Lissai. That's it. That's pretty much this entire administration in two words. Lissai. You know, and a great transition. Thank you for the segue, uh, Kylie, because Chaprice has actually been politically active. Um, I'm going to skip past a little more of the intro stuff, but we have a lot more to say about her and the, her background. But one thing I do want to mention while we're on the topic, she uh, was asked to perform, actually, her mom was asked to perform the... Uh, national anthem that's what it's called um before before a professional soccer game i don't know what seattle soccer team i don't know any soccer teams you're american it's acceptable thank you um but so they were gonna have like a charity game where it was like the point of it was to honor breast cancer survivors which is why her mom was asked because from what i understand she herself is a survivor of breast cancer um and like Chaprice comes from a very musical family. Like her mom was a singer and she said she told this anecdote uh, as a slight tangent. She told this adorable anecdote about how her dad, like she, her earliest memory is like basically her dad having her on her, like his lap and just kind of like singing and like learning about music basically. And she mentions just in that interview that it's so important for moments like that for children. Like, even if you don't remember them, like as the adult in the situation, the kids probably will. And it's so important. And so she, and I love that. Uh, But anyway, so she was at, like her mom was asked to perform this uh, national anthem, but her mom couldn't make it. And so she said, well, Chaprice, you know, you should do it. And Chaprice, this was around the time of, um, Colin Kaepernick and that whole uh, kneeling during the anthem being like a big deal because white people didn't like that, which is still stupid. And uh, let me, I'm, I was firmly on Colin Kaepernick's side. Just want to, for the record, say that. Um, clearly so was Chaprice because she had like a, she was in a quandary and she talked about it. Um, oof, I forget where this interview took place, but I do have quotes from her. Um, basically, she, uh, she says, I told her being the manager of game day entertainment for the soccer team, who was Jessica Hancock. uh, I told her, I feel honored that you want our family to be involved with this. But at the same time, I'm completely aware of where we're at as a nation and that the song doesn't necessarily or was not necessarily written to include people who look like me. I wanted to try to come to some sort of common ground where we could do a demonstration while making a stand against it, but also while keeping in mind that my face is very much much a face of the nation as well to step completely away from that didn't feel right either i was born in america i'm an american 
I took the stand that if they were not willing to allow me to do a demonstration, that I wasn't going to sing it. They were going, they were very understanding and open to what I had in mind. So she did end up doing it and she performed it in her own way. And I think that that in itself is a great protest. Um, She also seems to understand the importance of doing something like that, which is great. I love to see an artist who's intersectional. Exactly. And I think that's, that's really a fascinating kind of important thing, especially as we kind of look and and see how sort of where our nation is going and the continued struggles. I think it's really important. And that artist kind of bring to light those type of issues and saying like, like she said, like, here's this national anthem. And she said, you know, I am an American. However, when you look at sort of the things that are happening, you know, and what that, you know, tends to represent and, and things like that, I just... I think it's really fascinating that she took that um that artistic avenue absolutely and i really ad- admire her for it and i i love i love really when indie artists are outspoken about that stuff i mean look there's a lot of garbage on twitter and like especially because we have so much access to what people are thinking and saying at all moments of the day but when there's an artist that actually does it with importance and like conviction I really admire that. And that's uh, one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk about her today. Um, but yeah, so she did release an LP last year and it was called Coles, uh, C-O-A-L-S. We're still, one of the things Zoe and I were talking about earlier was that we're not sure what uh, the um, what it all stands for. Yeah, uh, so we're definitely curious about that. Right, because it's, it's definitely an acronym because there is a period between every letter when you're... No, no. But we have no <laughs> idea what it stands for. But... Uh, Maybe we just didn't do enough research. I look. I did try. I, I was gonna say we'll go in. We'll we'll maybe uh, discover more. But Shaprice, if you're listening, we'd be fascinated to know what the, all at all that stood for. Yeah, Shaprice or literally anyone else, email me sawdustinjin at gmail dot com. Um, so but the record is fantastic. I love it so much. It's uh, I believe ten tracks, uh, and it's R and B mixed with electronics, mixed with beautiful orchestral arrangements, and her vocal delivery is also like unique in its own way. I really, really like this record. I was really impressed. I thought from start to finish it was really strong, and I really appreciated the um, the orchestral bits of it. I think that a lot of times with a lot of especially current R&B, it tends to be a lot more electronic. And I think you kind of lose out on a lot of those cool, like there are a lot of really cool string sections in a lot of the songs. Um, And I think that's something that I don't tend to hear a lot on the top 40. So I think it was really cool to to hear that on this record. Yeah, definitely. And where R&B is going in indie circles, like R&B on mainstream radio is pretty much the same. Um, Yeah, pretty similar. But not to say that it's bad. I think it's still a very influential genre. You're talking about someone who loves pop. So clearly I have no problems with the current state of R&B. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. So, but for indie artists, I, you know, everybody's trying to carve out their own niche. So you have like these plays on R&B who are huge, hugely popular now. Um, there's been a lot of like 90s influence resurgence in the past few years. But where they're going with it, I've noticed, is more electronic, like more industrial or just experimental type of beats. Whereas what I love is Chappelle. Caprice is literally going in the opposite direction. Like she's obviously got the electronics as that is the basis of modern R&B, but the orchestral arrangements are beautiful and it really drives it home for me. And I think that it's 
not surprising one of the things about her is that she's actually performed with these the seattle symphony so i think that uh what's really interesting is that a lot of uh that type of orchestral performance that she has done with the seattle symphony i think a lot of that orchestral influence has been brought into the record which makes it really great so it's interesting sometimes to see who her influences are or who people attribute her influences to be because let's be real a lot of music journalists just guess of course, uh, which is I can say I'm guilty of it. Um, but <clears throat> excuse me, she cites that influences for her songwriting uh, are people like Bjork, which I think is very interesting. I'm not sure I hear it necessarily, but I do love the idea of what she's going for because she basically I re- I read an interview where she cited Bjork and she was like, it's the emotion of express like expression, like the emotion of the expression of it that makes like that drives her. I was gonna say more so than because when I listen to this, I don't hear Bjork in terms of the of the sound. Um, I definitely because I mean because Bjork can get really really out there, and I feel like this is definitely a lot closer to R and B than it would be anything like super super experimental. But I think it's kind of interesting in terms of that she kind of wants to draw from the emotion because you can definitely say with Bjork like you you know that she feels what she's talking about. Absolutely, and I feel like. And I'm I'm gonna kind of criticize music journalism for a second, and I can do that because I am I'm part of it. Um, but I think people saw that Bjork thing, kind of ran with it, and somebody else compared her to FKA Twigs. Yeah, which that's another thing where I don't necessarily agree with that. I think FKA Twigs is great, um, but I feel that FKA Twigs is a lot more electronic and a lot more um, a lot of things are on loop. Like there's the the video girl song, great. But it, I when I listen to Chaprice, I don't hear that type of song structure. Um, I think again, Chaprice is a little bit more what you would think of as classical R and B, whereas I think FKA Twigs I think is more electronic, sort of experimental, a lot of loops. I don't really hear an FKA Twigs when I'm listening. Uh, when I one of the things that was funny on my drive here, I thought to myself, who who does she remind me of? Who does she remind me of? And who, the person that, uh, or the, excuse me, the band that she reminds me of is Little Dragon. I think that's the comparison that I, when I listen, like I think of uh, Little Dragon when I hear it. I think that's like a really good comparison. It's funny. I I think that the FKA Twigs things comes from because uh, when she was first releasing that one EP, that's when FKA Twigs was huge with her stuff. And so I feel like people were just being lazy about it. And honestly, another reason why I disagree is because I personally never really liked FKA Twigs. And I love Chaprice. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel that they're two very different. I don't think that FKA Twigs is an appropriate um, comparison in, in this regard at all. No, but Chaprice is fantastic. Chaprice is great. Like I, I was really excited to uh, Zoe turn me on to Chaprice, and I was really excited to listen to the whole album because, again, the whole album is incredibly strong. Yeah, it is. Like honestly, start to finish, you like there are some slower tracks in the middle, but they're exactly what you would expect from an R&B record, like emotion waning and like ebbing. And not um, because I feel that you can have, I think she does a good job in the fact that there are slower tracks, but they're not uh, boring tracks. And I think that you don't get the sense of filler, you know, and I think that's the main thing is a lot of times sometimes there are slower, boring tracks. You're like, how the hell did this make it on the record? And I, I don't think that any of the tracks on here are ones that I sit there and I'm wondering how it made it on the record. Yeah, absolutely. So I've actually seen a bunch of videos of her performing some of the songs, like in random places. I remember one video was like on a like Ferris wheel. Is that what they're called? Well, that's cool. Yes, the thing that goes. Yes. Up. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 We're just we were just drawing circles and circles. Air. Yeah. I wish. <laughs> Which was really. We're so smart. 
Um, but I also saw that she did like a TED talk. Uh, it was TEDx Rainier, which is that C- Seattle? I don't. Well, I don't know. I don't. Know. I have no idea. I don't know my Washington uh, geography where very well. Um, I love that I always say that I don't know things on the podcast. Like I could just lie and be like, I'm so confident in all the knowledge I have, but I'm not. Anyway. <laughs> So in this TED talk that she did, um, it was it was basically a performance. She did three tracks, but she did talk about a little bit, um, not really her songwriting process so much as like her thought process when she's songwriting, which kind of sounds like it's exactly the same, but y- you'll get it. Um, basically, she uh, thanked her collaborators and was talking about the emotional draw of a of a of a lyric and so one of the things that she was talking about specifically was you know feeling like an overwhelming feeling and it becomes this very vivid image in the lyric and I I feel very uh inspired by that because I feel like I would love to be able to be a songwriter and I don't understand like how people think of these things but that is a great descriptor for me exactly I'm I am same I am mystified by the songwriting experience I think it's really fascinating that people especially can take an emotion and put it into words especially that aren't cliche and I think that's the most important part because anybody can use cliches and just be like oh it's right as rain or you know throw in a hundred other cliches so um so I think that's super interesting um and I think I mean I just like TED Talks in general. So uh, so I just think it's really cool that she's done one and she's, uh, you know, talking about songwriting. Love the, uh, I love the cross-platform, you know, getting a new audience from the TED Talk, you know, because she performed her music. I thought that was smart. From a marketing. Exactly. I was going to say Zoe's Marketing 101. All right, let's talk about some of the songs we liked. <laughs> yes. So I think my absolute favorite, I put some stars uh, by the ones on my notes that I was just in love with. And one of them was Carry You. Um, and I just, what I thought was interesting is I thought the lyrics were really relatable. Um, how she's talking about, I can't carry you and still carry me too. And I think that that's really relatable, especially when you're dealing with um, an, a relationship where you have somebody who's just has a lot of emotional baggage. Like to be honest, and sometimes it's really tough to 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 deal with the emotions of both people. So I just thought that that was, I, I love the track itself, great strings. I think overall, one of the wonderful things about this album is that the strings are so great. Oh, on every track, the strings blow me away. It's, I'm serious. Like, I, uh, a couple songs that I like, I really liked some of the singles. I don't know, I know I just shared the album with you. Yeah, so I actually wasn't privy to which ones were singles. So I'm so, actually yeah. kind of curious about that. Which I think is such a great social experiment <laughs> right um but so the singles that i heard were send me your love which i do love that track and it might just be because i've heard it a trillion times that was actually one of the ones i starred yes that's such a good song i mean it's so strong but like catchy and one of, uh, my adjective for it was driving i thought that it had just this great um driving pulse through it and i also put love the violins which is kind of again the theme throughout this like love the violins do you think that there's a xylophone on that track? That's we'll have to listen to it. Because I feel like I heard maybe, or a glockenspiel, whatever the, it is. But um, I, I, I just really like the instrumentation on this track, is my point. Yes. Great, Great song. song. But then another single I remember was How Are You? Mm-hmm. Great song. My One of my other faves was one that I 
thought was just the perfect kind of sultry R&B jam because honestly what is an R&B album without that kind of like sultry jam and I love Wake Up Melting Snow it's so sultry and that's just kind of like the jam I was sitting in my car like this is definitely has those 90s R&B influences the electronic elements that one was was fun that was a fun one for me that's a song that I think of when I think of like well it still has a lot of emotions like in and out it's not a consistent tempo like that's a slower song but it's so good that's the thing it's it's slow but not boring and I think that that's something that um is just super and and for me especially as a pop music fan sometimes I tend to be that person that's not into the slow jams I'm like give me the bangers but I feel that with this album it's like the slow one like this is still sultry it's still great and it's still engaging Absolutely. Uh, I, I feel like this was kind of a lower tempo song, but one of my faves was Remember. Um, that song, I just think it's so beautiful. I love that. We, we have similar. We didn't Do even we? review <laughs> yeah, this we before we did it. This is great. I was going to say, my thought was I loved Remember because it was a good mix of you heard the electronic, you heard the R&B, and also there were gospel influences. And I think that yes. that's super fun, especially um, to combine all those things. And it's just... That one was one of my favorites. I just love that our favorite tracks were so similar. And this cracks me up. I seriously, I have favorite tracks under here. Um, in Which is really funny. In this aspect, we were thinking like, we typically don't. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed. This is it. coincidental. This is very coincidental. Um, I would, I, one thing that I really wanted to point out about Remember is the way that she sings the words is like she's changing the way that she's singing for this song and it's very subtle but it is still very moving and i yeah love that song again this whole thing though sincerely from start to finish is just a really really great project yeah, yeah. So, i mean i wish that i had been uh paying attention so that i could have seen if she was playing around live oh but she lives here she could still be playing it's like somewhere or Zoe might just be sitting there like, I'm going to stalk her Instagram and see what she takes pictures of and see where she is. Okay, well, I was stalking her Instagram today and I noticed she has this beautiful Dalmatian. Cute. <laughs> I, I love it. It was like kissing her face in the photos. So cute. And apparently she's uh, in Silver Lake, which is not too far. <laughs> After this, you know what Zoe's doing. She's going to be driving around Silver Lake like, Chaprice? Chaprice? What does Cole stand for? Does anybody know? Maybe I'll find Banafi on the way. Oh, is she in Silver Lake too? I don't know, but she lives here. I would assume it's Silver. Everybody lives in Silver Lake. I know that's it is really indie haven for those of you who are um, who are outside of LA. Silver Lake is definitely like the indie artist haven. Um, it's uh, it's it's fun as all hell. There's great, there's great coffee there. God, I sound like the most basic white bitch being like, there's great artists and there's great coffee. I know what I am. We are the gentrifiers. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, ain't that the truth? Though my neighborhood of Van Nuys, I just want to throw out, is still not gentrified and at this rate will never be. So I don't think my, my gentrification will have anything, any effect on that place. Well, for the record, I hope that I have not too badly hurt little Armenia. Uh, back on topic, I do want to see her live. Um, I did read uh, when she was when she was touring. I don't know how extensive her tour was, but uh, she said that she was touring with a choir. 
I don't know what the choir necessarily could have been three people could have been 10 but either way like I love that idea and she said that she was using it specifically because she was performing a Kanye track and I just want to know if it was Ultra Light Beam because that song is sick and it requires a choir. This makes me so happy. I love Kanye. He's not a good person, but oh my God, I love everything he puts out. So I just, oh, this really excites me. We're going to have to get on our um, on our tour game to make sure that as soon as she performs, we are there. You know where it would be? She would be fascinating at the Pico Union Project. Like, could you imagine that choir yes. in that synagogue? Oh my God, yes. Okay, did you know they actually do regular shows there? I looked it up. It's put on Spice so if Spaceland. You, if you want to find us, oh you can find us at a synagogue in the in uh, in downtown LA. It's across the street from the Staples Center. Um, please don't find us there. Please don't stalk us. As much as we joke about stalking other people, please guys, please don't stalk us. We did just say where we lived, but we didn't give our addresses. So right. screw you. So Zoe lives at. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Lucky for you guys, I don't use my last name on this, so. Um, <clears throat> anywho. Yeah, so really looking forward to that. I'll keep an eye out for that. We're definitely going to be on that uh, as soon as we can. Um, but for now, I think we're going to just transition into our mix. We have some really great music for you, and we, as per usual, we appreciate you guys listening, and we're so excited to always to hear from you. I know Zoe loves to get emails, and just to, you know, as as much as Zoe does not want you to physically stalk her, she does not mind if you send emails. Oh, please internet stalk me. Um, uh, my handles are at Sawdust and Jen on Twitter and Facebook. I don't have an Instagram. Don't bother me about it. Email me at sawdustandjen at gmail.com and visit us at on Tumblr, sawdustandjen.tumblr.com. I got all my plugs in. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Though I think it's a shame that you don't have the Instagram because I really think that you have some hilariously Instagram-worthy things, like for right now, how much we're sweating. Uh, in case you're wondering, in LA, it's hot as all hell. And to uh, make sure that there weren't the sounds of AC or birds or anything, we have like closed the windows and turned off the AC. So we are sweating. We're and cooped we- up and we're hot. Maybe that's why you don't have an Instagram. Because na- now that I'm saying, I'm like, mm, I don't know if they want to see that. I would. I just don't just think about it. You don't it. have enough food to hashtag. Hashtag Instagram worthy. Hashtag eggs. No, I, I don't. Hashtag brunch. Gross. No, <laughs> not just, not gross. But, you know, I just, I don't think about it. Um, it's funny. Somebody was literally just asking me this last night. They were like, so, like, why do you, because I was like, oh, Twitter's my favorite. Like, I use Twitter the most. And they were like, oh, I'm just curious. Like, why? Because I use Instagram. And I was just like, honestly, I don't think about sharing things with people. So like, if I take a photo, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm gonna put this on Instagram. You know, I just feel like I don't have enough nice visual things to show. Like, the, I mean, I do have my cat, which is what my Instagram is, and my cat is freaking adorable. Um, but she's, I mean, that's all I wanna share. Like, I don't have like duck lip selfie, you know, like, <laughs> I don't have any of those photos to share. Like, what is it, 2012? Yeah, right. Kissy lips. I can't. I can't even do it. I'm laughing too much. I am physically yeah. incapable of doing duck <laughs> We are literally both trying to do it right now and just laughing at each other. Um, anywho, yes, we are definitely going to transition in the mix now. Yes. Sorry, we got sidetracked, but I'm sure you guys love knowing more about us. Exactly, and it's hot as hell, so we're kind of going crazy up in here. Yeah. yeah. But um, enjoy Chaprice and the rest of the mix, and stay tuned for me a recap at the end. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Sawdust and Gin.
there's nothing that I couldn't reach when you were flying next to me. Way past the atmosphere, you left my heart floating up there, and now it's crashing all around me. Hard to
The song we're listening to now, which will play us out, is Spectral by OKPK. Prior to this, we heard Tiger featuring Aku by Maximum Balloon. Before that was The Holograms by Full Chen. The Holograms is the song name, yes, and just to reiterate, the artist was Full Chen. Uh, confusing one. But moving on, before Full Chen was Niagara, who sang us a song called Vanilla Cola, all one word. Niagara is spelled like the falls, of course. And last but certainly not least was Chaprice with Remember, a mutually loved track between Kylie and I. Uh, look her up. Buy this record, Coles, C-O-A-L-S. Um, we'll have everything linked in the description on SoundCloud as best we can, uh, but more fully, we'll have everything linked on Tumblr. Head to sawdustandgin.tumblr.com to get all that. Uh, almost done. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter at sawdustandgin. Email me, sawdustandgin at gmail.com. Follow the Tumblr, too, if I didn't already say that. Uh, Alright, I'm out. Uh, visit your local record store and never stop resisting. Thank you.